Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift to come together in song and spirit to be reminded of your story among us, through us, before us, with us, and beyond us. And so I ask that um, as we uh, prepare our hearts and our minds for what it is that you would have to say to us today, that you would clear away the clutter of those things that um, keep us from hearing you um, so that we might be fully present um, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It'd be easy to read uh, the passages that we've heard earlier today as an arc from the beginning of time and creation and humanity's break in relationship with God, all the way to the restoration of that relationship through Jesus, which to be clear is exactly how it's supposed to be read. <laughs> and while I'm not interested in interrogating the worldview of a Victorian era Church of England, which started the tradition of lessons and carols, it is worth mentioning that in these days of interreligious awareness and interfaith collaboration, that this particular read on God's activity through the Hebrew and Christian scriptures has at times contributed to a certain amount of erasure of the tradition to which our Jewish neighbors belong. Now, with that said, the nine passages which make up a traditional Lessons and Carols service can still be very meaningful, um, a, a very meaningful way for us to consider the arc of God's history um, and activity among us across space and time. And I believe that we can do that without negating the traditions of our Abrahamic siblings. We began in a garden with a classic bit of he said, she said, it said, paired with finger pointing, a solid premise for any good dramedy, that instead became a tragic break of relationship, which spun us off into a wildly different part of the multiverse than what God had intended. Skip forward a few hundred generations and we hear from the prophet Isaiah who essentially coined the phrase, no justice, no peace, as he cries out to God on behalf of the people. Where are you, God? He shouts. We are in constant pain and distress. Everyone is looking toward a future generation and a leader that will have the courage and capacity to bring about the justice they so desperately need. Several more generations and we arrive at the scene of a 16-year-old girl living in a blue-collar town who finds her prayer time rudely interrupted by God and an angel with a very unusual request. We don't realize that she's a poet until the next reading where she drops some bars in a song that reveals a critical thinking and prophetic joy beyond her years. In the months to follow, her prenatal care is less than optimal. Her birth plan is thrown out the window when the donkeys and shepherds arrive, but somehow, anyway, a beautiful baby is born without complications. Not long after that wily old angel who caused all this trouble in the first place has the nerve to show up again, this time with a chorus of angels to announce the gift of God with us. And here, perhaps, we have reason number one why the rules around visitors in the labor and delivery ward are so restrictive. But before we lose the thread, John pulls us out of the cacophony so that we can begin again. The word that was at the beginning, that was with God, and was God, and now is flesh. The word that speaks today in spectrums of light and shadow. Everything came into being through this word. And without the word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The God who seemed so distant, so inscrutable and unknowable is nothing at all what we think they are. There's something else entirely. And that made me think about yeast. Just bear with me. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading about the work, work of John Paul Lederach, a leader in, the peace building, uh, uh, in global peace building and conflict transformation. 
He describes how, for many organizers, critical mass is the primary strategy for making things happen. By mobilizing large numbers of people, marching, chanting, and petitioning, that is how most community leaders seek to make change. The large numbers give a sense of importance for an issue. When people flood the streets, it makes the world pay attention and it feels tangible. And while the issue may in fact be very important, what Lederach has seen in his global work of peace building is this. Social change that comes about from bursts of energy can have a hard time sticking. Instead, he's observed, what lays the groundwork for long-term change that sticks is less about the number of people involved than it is about the quality of the process in which change happens. It's less about critical mass, he says, and more about critical yeast. Getting a small set of the right people involved in the right places at the right time, or as Margaret Mead put it long before him, never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. In fact, that is the only thing that ever has. Now, I've been told that there are five common ingredients we need in order to bake bread, and I bet we've got some bread bakers in here, especially after the pandemic. Can you tell me what they are? Yeast, flour, water, salt, sugar, that's right. I heard that somewhere around here. Um, of all the ingredients, flour is the largest, the mass, right? But there's only one ingredient that can make it grow. Yeast, that's right, and it's among the smallest. But yeast can't do the job alone, right? First of all, it definitely can if it remains in that little foil packet that you bought it uh, in the store in. In its package, yeast is only potential, and eventually, it will die. In order to fulfill this potential, yeast has to move from the package to a process. But even then, it has to be done very thoughtfully. To get started properly, yeast needs a bit of warmth and moisture to grow. And even more, in that early growth period, yeast would do better with a bit of sugar. Another way to think about this is such. When specific people who carry specific yeasty gifts have an opportunity to mix together in spaces of warmth and sweetness, once a culture of connection and belonging is created, it is only then that it is ready to mix with the mass. And this is not a small thing. It's not enough to kind of just dump it in the flour, stir it around a bit, and call it a day, right? No, yeast has to be thoroughly mixed in, and this takes more than a bit of muscle. You have to knead the dough and knead it properly. And by this, I mean you are folding and pushing and pulling and folding again over and over for about five to 10 minutes to get that yeast really in there, right? And after that, you have to put the exhausted dough into a well-greased bowl, cover it uh, with plastic wrap, and have a cool drink, cool, cool drink to cool off for yourself. Then after about one to two hours, if you come back to the dough, lo and behold, that dough is twice the size it was when you started. How about that? And it'd be easy to call it a day and say, wow, that dough is ready to go, right? Toss it in the oven, but don't be fooled. In order for the bread to be ready for baking, it has to prove its resiliency and capacity to grow under even more strain, pressure, and force. So the dough is cut in half, and then it endures another five to 10 minutes of kneading before time to rest again. Critical yeast must not only be thoroughly mixed into the broader community then, it also has to do so in ways that sustain a purpose of connection and growth while holding the mass together in spite of repeated push, pull, and pressure from external forces. Now, time for recovery before the next season of challenge is essentially not only for repair, but for strength building. 
And after the second round, you know that the dough is ready because it will bounce back to the touch. And I could go on. Uh, but the last thing I'll mention is that somewhere in there, the dough has to be shaped and the oven has to get preheated, which means that even while we may be moving through hardship, we also have to stay aware of what is beyond this present moment, to see what is in the horizon so that we can create the conditions to meet the moment when it arrives. And this brings me back to our lessons and carols for today. And why I'm not going to go in too hard on Eric Milner White, who I'm sure you read at the top of this morning's worship guide, was the founder of the Lessons and Carols service. Because in spite of its supersessionist orientation to God's story across the scriptures, the reason why he created this service was to illuminate, as Jay read earlier, the development of the loving purposes of God seen through the windows and words of the Bible. These lessons take us on a bread-baking journey. <laughs> of sorts, of God's critical yeast. From those warm and sweet beginnings where God's creation drips with love and grace and a vision of life abundant, to those seasons of needing, rising and needing again, all the while with an eye toward the conditions, creating the conditions in which that resilient dough can make way for baking. As we look back on these past years now, like in our own lives, as a community here, and in this tremendous city beyond these walls, all of which has been pushed and pulled and strained and stressed in any number of ways over the last five plus years. Is it too triggering to mention Delta or Omicron or a letter published in 2015? As we look back on these years, it would be easy and understandable to focus on the trauma and the challenges that have been faced. Those things are true but they are not the only truth. Before God cursed the snake and burdened Adam and promised hardship for Eve, God did something else first, something beautiful. As the, as the black liturgist put it, before God made a people, God made a home for them, a home that was rich with possibility and flourishing with life. And after their relationship had broken, God made a choice. God stitched together tailor-made clothing that would protect them from the elements, saying that they still belonged, and they were still family, even if they had to start paying rent. God sent them out after a time of sweetness and warmth to be critical yeast in the world. And when their descendants felt themselves unable to endure the pressure of push and pull, God sent prophets, poets, priests, and artists, critical yeast, in other words, to help them lift their gaze long enough to spot something in the horizon, to hold them together in the midst of the tumult, and make them a remark, oh yes, oh yes, there's something, there's something ahead. Again. And again, through hardship and despair, a voice of critical yeast would cry out in the wilderness and call them again out of their anguish to remind them of a God who made a home for them before God even made a them. We can do hard things because we have a God who loved us first. And finally, when the oven had been preheated and the dough had been kneaded and raised and kneaded and raised, is it sacrilegious to say that God put a bun in the oven? I did anyway. But even so... That's not my point today, because we're not there yet, right? Today, after all, is December 11th, and we've only just lit the third candle of Advent. And so before we settle into that warm Christmas Eve glow, we have to contend with Advent joy, which is another way of saying that there is joy in our waiting. And perhaps maybe it's a way of saying that we are joy in the waiting, 
that we are the critical yeast who leave this place of sweetness and warmth, of having been pushed and pulled by life and circumstance and even maybe some bad choices toward the kind of resiliency which a weary world needs in order to rejoice. And so as we walk out of the doors or log off of our accounts with lessons on our minds and carols on our lips, let us go with critical yeast in our hearts to be part of God's chosen family and catalysts for God's good and life-giving purposes wherever we find ourselves. Our gaze upon the horizon and our hunger satiated by the bread of life who never leaves anyone hungry. Let us pray. God, we are grateful for your story, a story that you have privileged us to be part of. And so we ask that as we move into uh, this season more deeply, as the days grow shorter and the nights grow longer, that we might look carefully and listen closely to where it is that you are calling us to be critical yeast in our relationships and our lives and in the broader world that you invite us to be part of. We thank you, God, that before you created, created in us, you created a home for us to live and dwell and care for. And so enable us to do all of that and so much more with joy in the waiting. Amen.